church family, it's wonderful to see you this morning. Will you take your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2? Going to be in just the first three verses of this second chapter today. Uh, before we begin, I would like to uh, wish all of the mothers in the room a very happy uh, Mother's Day. We are grateful for you. Thank you for all of the things that you do, uh, not only for your own children, whether they're in your home or grown, uh, but just women of our church. Thank you for the way uh, that you so faithfully serve in our congregation. I am grateful uh, for the godly women of Nansman River Baptist Church who are a blessing to me, uh, who are a blessing in so many ways uh, to our congregation. So happy Mother's Day uh, to you. If this is your first Mother's Day here with us, or maybe even today is your uh, first day here, maybe you are expecting to hear a Mother's Day sermon. Um, you won't. I don't preach Mother's Day sermons. I did one time, and it was when we were preaching through Proverbs, I coordinated it to preach Proverbs 31, which is about uh, godly uh, womanhood. Uh, but the Lord in, I think, with somewhat of a sense of humor, oftentimes in my preaching calendar will have me preach on some of the more difficult topics in Scripture uh, on Mother's Day. And uh, I think today is, again, one of those uh, one of those days is we're going to take up the subject of uh, false teachers within uh, the church today. And so, uh, but so mothers, uh, we are grateful for you. Thank you for all that you do in your families uh, and in our church. Uh, and I hope you're not a false teacher, which I don't believe the women in this church certainly are. So this isn't right. This is why I preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, because you can't say, oh, you picked this just for Mother's Day. No, no, I didn't. All right, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? Slowing down a little bit here in our series in 2 Peter, uh, because this becomes a defining sermon really for the rest of the chapter as Peter now turns his attention to the great threat within the churches of Asia Minor to, he is writing, uh, to whom he is writing here, which is false teachers within the body. Peter says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing, up themse bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray together. Father, we begin today by thanking you for the gathered church of God and specifically on this day, thanking you for the women of Nansman River Baptist Church, the many ways in which they rise up to bless our congregation, the encouragement that they provide the wisdom that they provide, the example of godliness that they provide. Thank you, God, for all that you do through the mothers of our church. Father, as we turn our attention to your word and to the warning against false teachers, which uh, is an ever-present warning for the church, would you help us to be mindful? Would you guard us from labeling someone a false teacher who is not? but would you also guard us from embracing te destructive teachings that seek by the power of the enemy to lead the church of God astray, we ask in Christ's name, amen. 
You may be seated. This morning's sermon is very simple, really. Beware of false teachers. From the outset, I believe I need to define that term. I need to help us to understand what is and isn't a false teacher. The sermon is going to help us determine what is a false teacher. But before I use that word, I don't know, 600 times this morning, I do want us to be able to understand who I'm not talking about. Because you may walk away from here thinking, if I don't tell you who I'm not talking about, thinking that I'm talking about someone or group of people or a denomination of churches that, that I'm really not speaking of. Let's just think about what Peter has done so far so we'll kind of understand what he's doing here. Peter has called the churches that he's writing to to persevere to a life of perseverance in Christ, to persevere to the end, to follow Jesus to the end of their lives. And he has promised to them in the middle of chapter one that he's going to help them to do that. And part of the way Peter helps them to do that is by writing this second letter to them. Then he turns his attention to Scripture and tells them that of the inspiration and authority and inerrancy, meaning the truth of God's word, that God's word is truthful and trustworthy and worthy of being followed. All of this really setting up the idea that he's going to argue in the body here now of his letter that false teachers present a significant danger in the church. And not only their church, but in the church throughout the centuries. But knowing what Peter has addressed in chapter 1 helps us to understand who he is talking about in chapter 2. So let me be clear. False teachers are not those who, with whom we have second or third order doctrinal disagreements. Now, we often will talk about first, second, and third order doctrines here. Uh, at the end of the service today, I'm going to teach Connect class to those who would like to know more information about our church. And in that first Connect class, I talk about the order of doctrine, that some doctrines are more important than the others. Second order doctrines are those that kind of define who we are as Baptists, who we are as Nansman River Baptist Church. Third order doctrines are things that we can disagree on and still sit in the same pews and go to the same small group and be a part of the same congregation together. But first order doctrines are something completely different. That's more of what Peter has in mind here. So we're not calling churches who may do some things, do may believe certain things differently than us, heretical or false teacher churches. We're also not saying, I'm also not saying that false teachers are those with whom we have different convictional freedoms or restrictions. There are certainly people that practice Christian freedom in different ways than I may practice my Christian freedom, and I may practice my Christian freedom in different ways than you practice yours. But things that the scripture gives us freedom on doesn't make one person a false teacher over another. False teachers are not those with whom we have different liturgical practices, meaning the way that we actually structure our churches and participate in the ordinances together and, and, and organize the Lord's Day worship. Those who are false teachers are not those with whom we have secular political disagreements. 
Now, there will be one or two caveats to that, and, and I'm going to make mention of those, and it's going to be impossible for me to preach this sermon without dealing with some of the false teaching of our own day. But in the main, we're not talking about Republicans and Democrats and independents today. We're talking about people who Peter will say have departed from the faith, are teaching heresy. And, and while you probably don't live in the same online world that I live in, but the online world that pastors often find themselves living in can be very frustrating. And one of the reasons it's frustrating to me is because people will throw out the word heresy over just really dumb stuff. People get accused, and this is not just an invention of online world. This has kind of been the way of it in, in Christianity for a long time. We're really quick to accuse someone of heresy. When Peter does it, though, he means it. That these are people who are teaching things contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ that are leading people not only just astray in that their practices are somewhat wrong and in contrary to scripture, but these are false teachers who are teaching a gospel that are leading people to hell. That is how we must understand the heresies of the false teachers of Peter's day, and it must be how we understand false teachers of our day. It's the main idea of our sermon this morning. Believers must be aware of false teachers that will seek to lead them astray. This morning is a sermon calling you to awareness. It is a sermon saying, church, we must be on guard. Because there are those as there have been throughout the generations, there are those in our generation who will seek to lead the church into damnable heresy. And we must be on guard. This is not a new problem, but it is a problem. And it is one that will not go away until the Lord Jesus himself returns, which by the way, was one of the heresies that was being taught in Peter's day. So let's look at what he has to say here about being aware of false teachers. The first, the ongoing presence of false teachers. Look at verse one with me, just the first part. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, Peter talks about two different groups of people that he calls false. One is false prophets, the other is false teachers. There's not really a reason to delineate the difference between the two other than Peter is looking back on false prophets and is looking in the current day upon false teachers. So we don't need to think that in one category is a false prophet and another category is the false teacher other than Peter's just helping his readers to see that he's looking backwards on a group of people and saying, just as it was then, so it is now. So when he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, the people that he's talking about are clearly the Old Testament people of God. He's talking about Israel, the people who God was moving and working in before the time of Jesus. And this is the story of the Old Testament, that God is redeeming a people for himself. And in the Old Testament, that people is called Israel. And that, that God is working, and as God was working to redeem a people in the Old Testament, there arose from generation to generation false prophets that sought to lead the people astray. Now, there's lots of examples about this, but I want to use one that just shows the urgency of recognizing who these people are. 
One of the one of the clearest places that we see the rise of false teachers in the prophetic word is in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a long prophetic book. Jeremiah is writing to the the southern kingdom of Judah uh, where the temple is in Jerusalem and he is pronouncing the word of the Lord that because of the teachings and actions of the people, God is going to bring destruction upon Jerusalem and take the people of Judah into captivity into foreign nations. And in several places, one of them being Jeremiah 23, he specifically addresses the false prophets of the day. Listen to what he says. This is just a selection of verses from Jeremiah 23. Really, the whole chapter is about this subject. He says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Concerning the prophets, uh, Jeremiah says, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns and pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. This is just a a piece of Jeremiah's uh, prophecy against the false shepherds who, where, where he begins, uh, those, those shepherds who were leading Israel astray in that day. But make note of the urgency that, that Jeremiah shares, that Jeremiah proclaims from the Lord. We must be on guard against those who would seek to lead the sheep of God astray, who would seek to destroy them and scatter them who would seek to tell them, just live your life the way that you want to live it. That's what he says at the end there. Does that sound familiar to you? Just live your life the way that you want to live it. Just just do what you want to do. There's no disaster that shall come upon you. The false prophets of the day were directly contradicting Jeremiah. Now, here's what we know from history. History proves Jeremiah's prophecy true. Because Jeremiah said, the Lord is going to judge, and the Lord certainly did judge. These people are saying, it's fine. You just live your life and you you do you. And the judgment of the Lord came upon not only the people, but specifically the false teachers. Not only in the Old Testament, but within the New Testament, this, that Peter looks back on them and then looks in his own day and recognizes that false teaching was creeping into the New Testament church. Now, it did this in stages, But what we see as we look at the writings of the New Testament church is nearly every late New Testament epistle, meaning the epistles written after, let's say, around 55 or 60 AD. So within the moving towards the second generation of church leaders, nearly every one of those New Testament letters deals with the subject of false teaching. 
Paul, for instance, warned the Ephesian elders about false teachers in Acts 18 as he was ending his third missionary journey. He wrote to multiple churches about it. Pastor Chris read this morning from one of them. He wrote to his his pastoral protégés, Timothy and Titus, about this subject. Peter chooses here in his kind of farewell letter to the churches to deal with false teachers. This was a major subject of late New Testament writings. But Jesus even warned us of this. Jesus warned his disciples of the Sermon on the Mount. He told them, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here's the thing about false teachers. They can oftentimes be very difficult to spot. I I have very rarely found a false teacher where 90, 95% of the things they were saying didn't sound right. They they sounded pretty good. And there's a reason for this, right? There's a reason that it sounds pretty good is because it's a really good way of sucking in people, particularly people who aren't very grounded in their faith. They know some Christian things. Maybe they've even come to faith in Christ, but, but they really aren't, they haven't, fully developed as they should. They've not grown in the, same, in the way that they should. And what happens is these, these wolves that look like sheep end up having other sheep follow them away. And Jesus warns and says, watch out because these are actually ravenous wolves. They can be difficult to spot. They look, sound, smell like sheep. They may even say some of the same things that the shepherds, good shepherds are saying. But ultimately, they're false prophets. Listen to how Paul warns about them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, And what am I doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boast, boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul, who does not mince words, clearly labels false teachers. Here he calls them false false apostles. It's the same thing. False prophets, false apostles, false teachers. These are people, these are wolves in sheep clothing that are seeking to lead the church of God astray. And notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, that these people are servants of Satan. These are servants of the enemy. These are enemies of the church of God. These aren't people with minor differences with us. These aren't people that are practicing things somewhat differently than us, that that, that are affecting the gospel. These are people who are seeking to tell the church that good is evil and evil is good. These are people who are seeking to tell the church that all is well in your life, that destruction is not coming upon you unless you... These are people that are directly contradicting the gospel. And there is a great warning here, both from the Old and the New Testament, both from the mouth of Jesus and the apostles. We must be on guard. Look back with me in verse 1. He's now going to talk about their work. He says, who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even to denying the master who bought them. There's a couple of things here that we see about 
these false teachers as, as, as Peter begins to describe their work to us. The first is that false teachers are those who teach contrary to the gospel. That's what he means when he says destructive heresies. Literally, it would read heresies that lead to destruction. Now, what is destruction? Destruction is damnation. Destruction is eternal separation from God. That's what's being described here. That's the ultimate uh, destination that we're going to see for the false teachers. But their heresies lead to this destruction. So their heresies are leading people, not true followers of Jesus, mind you, but people who may look like followers of Jesus. Again, this is tied to what Peter is writing about perseverance, that we are called to persevere to the end and that there will be some people who may look Christian and sound Christian and and do some Christian things that aren't actually Christians. And in that, these, these false teachers find their prey and begin to lead them astray, lead them towards heresies that, that lead towards destruction. These are divisive that, that word heresy there can mean divisive. It, it could be that what Paul is writing about here, this is at least a possibility. Or, I'm sorry, what Peter is writing about here is, is it is, is at least a possibility that there wasn't just one heretical thought within the churches of Asia Minor that he's writing to, but that there were multiple, that, that camps are starting to form. What Peter could be describing here is what we are starting to experience, I think, even in our own culture, even within Christianity uh, over the last decade or so, and that is distinct tribalism, where every other group is calling the other one heretical, some of which are. But there's, there's this divisiveness. These heresies are divisive, and many of them are ultimately leading people to destruction. The second thing we see, though, and this is very defining for who these people are and what they were teaching, is that these false teachers are those who are denying Jesus as Lord. He says they even deny the master who bought them. Now, what does that mean? Let's just speak clearly about what what Peter is describing here, when he says they deny the master who bought them, that word bought is the word redeemed. And the most common use of that word in the day wasn't a religious idea. It was a marketplace idea. That, that a master would go to the marketplace and purchase a bond servant. Purchase someone to come then serve within their household. And that bond servant's allegiance was fully expected to be towards that master. And so Peter uses this regular practice of the day to describe the Christian life. That when we are redeemed, when we are bought, as scripture says, out of our sin, we're bought out of destruction and into Christ's righteousness and into the kingdom of God, we now have a new master. And what we then do is we follow that master. Our full allegiance is now towards that master, but not those who are false teachers within the church. They are denying the master who bought them. Now, some of you will say, wait a second. Peter says that Jesus bought them. If Jesus bought them, then these are just Christians who are going astray. No, these are people claiming to be Christians. Make no mistake. Don't don't get lost in the grammar here. 
Make no mistake of what Peter is saying. Peter is not ascribing Christianity to the false teachers. They may look and sound like that, but these are wolves in sheep's clothing. The book of 2 Peter and the shorter uh, epistle of Jude uh, are really... uh, cousins within the New Testament. Most scholars believe that Peter had access to Jude as he is writing 2 Peter. I actually think that's probably very accurate. There are many things, many pieces of, uh, of 2 Peter that appear in, uh, in the uh, New Testament book of Jude. Listen to the way the fourth verse of Jude addresses this same subject. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for their condemnation. Ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Make no mistake of what, the, of what the New Testament authors are telling us here in God's word. These are not Christians. They may be among us. They may look like us. They may talk like us, but they're wolves in sheep's clothing. These false teachers were refusing to live as if their master commands or refused to live the way their master commands them to live and were telling others they no longer needed to do so either. They were denying Jesus as Lord and were telling other people, again, you, just same thing they were saying in the Old Testament, you just do you. Don't worry about following Jesus. These were people seeking to lead others astray. And what happens? Bringing upon themselves swift destruction, we're told at the end of that verse. In Matthew 7, when Jesus talks about the wolves in sheep's clothing, he continues and says this, you will recognize them by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. These wolves in sheep's clothing are bound for destruction. And those that they lead astray, follow them into destruction. This is why the warning to beware of false teachers is so important in Peter's day and still in ours. Now, the heresies may be different. And this is what can make it difficult for us, is that from one generation to the next, the, the, the deception of the false teachers change a little bit. It it matches oftentimes what's happening in culture. It matches oftentimes what's happening in philosophical thought. It it matches what's happening uh, within the world, even of academia. By the way, academia was a thing in his day. We didn't create that, right? It's it's been around a really, really long time. And and false teaching will tend to follow these worldly patterns, but they always trace themselves back to some of these same roots, Now, a couple of the roots we've still not dealt with, but two of them we've already seen here, that that the teaching is contrary to the gospel and it denies Jesus Christ as Lord. And there are many heresies today that are being embraced by so-called churches in our land that are leading people to, to destruction. And don't for a minute just think that it's coming from one direction. 
As a conservative evangelical church, it's easy for me to look towards theological liberalism and say these people are all the problem. And by the way, they're a problem. And there is definitely a, a, a line that is crossed that is no longer preaching the gospel. There is a line people cross as they move towards theological liberalism that, that, that departs from the Christian faith. Godless teachings that, teach, that, that seek to separate people and say that some are worse than others based on the color of their skin. That seek to tell people that they were born in a certain sin and not only were they born in that sin, as the gospel would and the Bible would certainly affirm, but it is okay for them to stay in that sin and even to openly embrace and practice that sin within the people of God. These are destructive heresies, but they are not nearly the only ones and probably not the ones that most in our church would be drawn towards. But there are certainly heresies on our right flank as well. Those that would seek to tie adherence to the gospel to some sort of nationalistic call. That, that we would tie being a Christian to being an American and being an American to being a Christian and being unable to separate those two things and, and thinking that that somehow makes us better than people who were born elsewhere. Listen, all of this denies the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this ends up seeking and serving another master. There are people that are publishing Bibles. I'm going to just keep punching right for a minute. There are people that are pu publishing Bibles now with the Constitution of the United States in it. Now, you may think the Constitution of the United States is a great thing. You think it's a pretty good governing document. But it does not belong in our Bibles. <laughs> the Constitution of the United States is not Bible. And here's what that's doing. It is leading people astray. And we say, now why are you punching right, not left? Well, because I know my audience. And I'm, I'm gonna come back to the left here in a minute. But I would do you a disservice if I said that my sermon is going to call you to beware and not actually call you to beware. So beware. Because for all time, False teachers have sought to lead the people of God astray. Number two, the temptation to follow gospel-tarnishing false teachers. You may sit here today and think, this isn't a problem for me. I'm all good. No, listen to me. The minute you think that, it's the minute you're led astray. Because their message is tempting. Hear me. Their message is tempting. Listen to what Peter says in the beginning of verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. This is the third thing we see about false teachers, that false teachers, again, I've said this already, are those who call evil good and good evil. And you say, well, what does that have to do with following their sensuality? Sensuality is a word that it, it feels good, right? It, it makes things easier. Jude uses, again, back in Jude verse 4, uses that same word. Look back again at that. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for their condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into what? sensuality. The draw towards the teaching of heresy often feels good. In our time, in our moment, here's how it feels good. Because we're not having to swim upstream. 
I believe Christianity has always swam upstream. I don't believe there's a single culture in our world that has ever embraced the true gospel to the point where the church of God has not swam upstream. Meaning it's always going to be difficult for the people of God to follow the gospel and to live godly lives. It's always going to be difficult. But there are times that is more difficult than others. And we live in one of those times. The stream against Christianity in our culture is flowing ever more rapid and it is becoming ever more difficult to swim against that stream. And it would be easier for us, mark what I say here, it would be easier for us to just say, we, we're going to be an affirming church. It'd be easier in our culture if we just said, hey, look, LGBT community, you're, you're not only welcomed here, but we're going to affirm you as you are. That'd be a lot easier for us. And here's what I know. You, you need to understand this because maybe you're not paying attention to it. There are dozens of churches this morning where pastors will stand in their pulpits and make that announcement for the first time. Dozens of places around our culture, churches are changing their doctrines every single week. We are not only in the minority culturally, it is quickly going towards the path that we are going to be in the minority, even of those places that call themselves churches, when we take a stand on God's word. Because it's going to be easier for us to not have to swim against the tide that is so pressing on us. But here's all that is doing, is following into sensuality. Listen to the way Paul ties this idea of, because you may say, wait, why are we picking on that? Well, I'm, I'm trying to show you some of these things. But, but this is a, a primary theme of false teaching in Scripture. It's the way Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In the context of, of false teaching, okay, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are, as, are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There in Corinth, just as it was in the churches of Asia Minor that Peter is writing to, there were false teachers that rose up and said, do what feels good. Specifically what Paul is addressing here when he talks about the prostitutes, he's, he's talking about temple worship because so much of culture was tied to temple worship and a lot of temple worship was tied to the act of prostitution. And so for people to live kind of a culturally normal life, they had to engage in some of those, with those temple prostitutes. So what, what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 6 is people just wanting to not swim against the stream. Now, no, we don't have temple prostitutes, but we certainly have a move within our culture that is saying that people can live any kind of sexually immoral life they want to and still be okay. The scripture says no. The church of God must stand and say no. 
we're not going to give in. We're not going to capitulate. We're, we're not going to bend or break. We are going to, no matter how forceful this tide comes, we are going to continue to swim against it because the scripture is clear. And this is, mind you, biblical sexuality is a gospel issue. It is a gospel issue. And we have to stand and say, we will not embrace this false teaching. Look at the second part of verse 2. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The fourth thing we see about false teachers is that they are those who damage the integrity of the gospel. Now, back to the right for a minute. <laughs> because Paul goes to the right. Paul punches right too. In Romans chapter 2, Paul addresses those who think that they can be right with God by having it all together. They think they can be right with God because the way they dress is right, the way they talk is right, the way they treat people is right, everything they, the, the food that they eat is right, that everything that they do is right. And because everything that they do is right, that, that they're right with God. And Paul addresses those people in, in um, Romans chapter 2. And so he kind of looks right, right? He, he looks towards this group of legalists and here's what he says to them. He says his, his concluding thought as he writes to them is this, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So equally diff, damaging for the church are these people that want to pile on rule after rule and say, well, to really be a Christian, you gotta do this. To really be a Christian, you gotta do this. To really be a Christian, you got to be, be in our church doing this thing at this hour, at this time. And unless you do all of these things, then you're not, you're not actually. And here's what he says. He, he says, the, the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you. Now on both sides. When, when, the, when, the, when the way of truth that Peter writes about here, this is the gospel when the gospel is denied, whether it's from the left or the right, when the gospel is denied, it is blasphemed in the world. The name of God is blasphemed among the world. When we take God's gospel, when false teachers take God's gospel and twist it to their own desires, it's blasphemy against God. Verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you for, with their false words. The fifth thing we see about false teachers is that they are those who seek to profit off their twisted message. False teachers always have something to gain from their teaching. It's not always lucrative. It's not always financial, but it very often is. And it very often is in our day. You see, our problems aren't only left and right. Sometimes our problems are really hard to define. Sometimes false teachers aren't, aren't easily categorized in, in the political language that we so often use, but you should be able to identify these people. When, when they're on television and the internet asking you for money to buy them a new airplane, you should recognize them for who they are. When, when, when they, they profit to, to, a, to an obscene level by leading people astray, by promising people things that the gospel does not promise. This is, by the way, the biggest issue with the prosperity gospel in our culture today is it promises things the gospel doesn't promise. 
and it weighs people down, not in a legalistic sense, but it weighs people down because what they tell them is untrue. They say, if, if, if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you don't have enough money, it's because you don't have enough faith. And then they point to themselves and say, see, I'm the example. I've got you know, a $50 million house and three airplanes because of my faith. There's no gospel in that. What are they? They're false teachers who are greeting, seeking to exploit people. At the end of Romans, Paul warns about these people there as well. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. False teachers will always have something to gain. And again, it's not always financial. Sometimes it's just notoriety. So sometimes they just want to be known as, this, as, as, the, as the, the prophet or the loud voice or the, 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 the one that everybody's listening to. They want to be known as the influencer. And sometimes they just want an airplane. But we have to be on guard for people that are proclaiming things, seeking their own gain. I'm always leery of anybody seeking to build a following. And we should too. Finally, the insured end of all false teachers. He ends verse three. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. I'm gonna pick up here next week. We're gonna talk more about their, their, um, the condemnation from long ago. Peter's gonna transition his argument. And so I'm gonna save verses four and on until next week and we're gonna kind of come back and talk about what their condemnation was long ago. But I wanted to end here intentionally just so we can understand that what he says at the end of verse one is also what he is saying at the, at, at the end of verse three. The end of verse one, he says, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. The end of verse three, he says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and the destruction is not asleep. Know this, false teachers will not prevail. They will not prevail. Unless they repent and turn towards Jesus, their destruction is assured. And this is what Peter wants us to understand. That the destruction, while it may seem as if they are prevailing, this is but temporary. And their destruction is sure. So what? Diligent perseverance requires rejection of false teachers who seek to lead others away from following Christ as Lord. Remember, 2 Peter is about perseverance. It's a call for the people of God to persevere in their faith, to continue to grow in their faith, to continue to follow the master who purchased them. And part of doing that, part of diligently persevering is being aware that false teachers will seek to lead us astray and rejecting their teaching as false Dealing with this subject in his second letter to Timothy, the apostle Paul writes, for the time is coming will people not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Some people will use the, these verses that Paul writes here in second Timothy uh, to describe our day. I think it does describe our day, but I also think Paul believed it described his day. I think it describes every day of the Christian church. Again, by the second generation of the Christian church, nearly every letter is dealing with false teaching. And ever since then, the church has had to deal with false teachings. We've had major upheavals in the church over the centuries over the idea of false teaching. False teaching will always be pre uh, present. 
What is it for us to do? We have to follow the words of Scripture and recognize that they are there. Recognize that there are those who will seek to lead us astray. And then do what? We do what Paul says in Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human traditions. According to the elements, elemental spirits of this world. And not according to Christ. Church, we must be on guard. We must follow Christ. Not this world. I'm going to end here. I recognize it's going to be difficult. I know it is. I know it's going to be, it would be easier for us to give in. It would be easier for us to give in on either one of our flanks, by the way. It would be easier for us to, to follow one of those two paths. At, but we can't do it. We must recognize that there is false teaching that surrounds us and we must declare with the apostles and the people of God that we will follow the master who bought us. Young people, I've been working with our teenagers ever since Pastor Michael uh, resigned. I'm going to keep doing it until uh, we hire a new next-gen pastor. I hope you're praying for that through our prayer guide. Teenagers, older elementary kids that are, that are in here, pay, pay attention. Listen to me for a second. Unless the Lord does some kind of miraculous work within our culture, what I'm talking about today is going to be even harder for you. It's going to be even harder for you. That this tide that is pushing against Christianity in our culture is pushing ever harder. And here's the, here's the call of Scripture to you. Be mindful of it. Recognize what is false. Parents, help them to recognize what is false. Take a stand in your home and say, this is false. And then, parents, this is going to require that we actually know our Bibles and to be able to say, this is truth. That what Peter said at the end of chapter 1 is how we can know who the false teachers are in chapter 2 because what they are saying does not align with what God has said. Church, beware of the false teachers. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that we are unable to do this on our own. That even with all of the educated people that we have in this room and all of the people who, who love your word and are students of this word, without the power of your Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts to its truth, we would be utterly helpless. So would you help us? I pray now, Father, that if there is false teaching in this church, that you would shine a light so bright on it that we would not be able to ignore it that we would identify it for the falseness that it is and we would reject it as false. I pray, God, that you would make us good swimmers against the tide, not for the sake of being countercultural, but for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, which transforms our lives and helps us to follow the master who bought us, I pray. Thank you for giving us a foundation of your word Thank you for giving us the righteousness of Jesus. May we walk in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
as have been most of the sermons and will be most of the sermons in 2 Peter. This is a sermon to Christians in the main idea and in the so what, specifically directing, directed to believers. But we recognize there may be people who don't believe in Jesus in here today. Maybe you came with mom. Hear this call. There is truth. His name is Jesus Christ. He died in your place so that you may have life. I'll be in the lobby at the end of the service. Why don't you come find me? Let's talk about how you can follow Jesus with your life. Church family, we respond together as we stand and sing.